Bible lesson. Romans chapter 3. In your bulletin it says I'm going to read from 21 through 31, but I'm actually only going to read 21 through 26, which is page number 940 in your pew Bibles. I know that's a, probably a newer hymn for you. You might not be all that familiar with that one. Um, but it is so good. Thank you. Um, it is so, uh, it's such a good hymn, and it's very rich, and the tune is wonderful. So uh, I'm glad we sang it today, and you did really well. So. I'm preaching now through Romans. This is sermon number 17. I said that the gospel... Uh, that the theme of Romans is found in chapter 1, verse 16, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And then after Paul states that, he spends the rest of chapter 1 and into chapter 2 and into chapter 3, verse 20, which is what we covered last week, talking about why we need the gospel. Gentiles need the gospel. Jews need the gospel. Everyone needs the gospel. And then today what we're looking at and be, it'll begin today and work through uh, chapter 4, is what is that gospel? I mean, how do you understand this good news? So, Lord willing, this will be a good start to that uh, explanation and understanding of what the gospel is. Romans chapter 3, reading verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Lord, please open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from this, your word. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, the theme, uh, as I just mentioned, is that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And now here, Paul is turning a corner to explain what all that good news is. And this section is really a beautiful explanation of the gospel. You know, you can, on the one hand, you can take a verse that's well known like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That is, in a sense, the gospel. That's good news. Uh, you can take a verse from the Old Testament like from Isaiah 53. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. That also is good news. That's the gospel. Well, here you've got in these verses in Romans chapter 3, a beautiful explanation of the gospel. Now, there's some $3 words in here. Redemption and propitiation and justification and things like that. And I'm going to attempt to help you understand what those are today. 
But it's a beautiful explanation of the gospel. I heard about one Presbyterian minister. The way the way Presbyterians work. For those of you who are not Presbyterians, uh, you're still learning about what this what this thing is. Is uh, for a minister to to be a minister in a Presbyterian church, he has to be examined and approved by some folks outside the church. Um, they have to say, all right, what do you believe about this? What do you believe about that? What do you believe about the other? And as long as your minister answers them in an orthodox correct, theologically accurate manner, then they say, okay, that's fine. He can come be your minister in that church. Um, One minister uh, would ask the question during that exam time of candidates for the ministry or a candidate to be a pastor at a certain church. Can you go through Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26 and and explain all those terms and, and, and give us a good understanding of the gospel using those verses? And if the, if the candidate could, could do that well, then he would vote to approve them. And if not, then he failed the test. That's how central and important this understanding of the gospel, uh, how understanding the gospel is and how crucial these particular verses are. So I'm going to focus on just three words today. There will be some others that I'll spend some time on in the future, but just three words from these verses today that I want to focus on. First of all is the word righteousness which you see numerous times here, righteousness. Again, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And then you look down at verse 25 and you see it again. This was to show God's righteousness. Now, up to this point, God has been showing that or Paul has been showing, God has been showing through the, Paul's pen, uh, the, how unrighteous man is. And we saw that again and again and again these last few chapters. So what's, what is this righteousness that's being spoken of here? In a lot of ways, we don't need to complicate it. Uh, righteousness means being right. Being in the right. A righteous person is one who does what is right. And a righteous person is one who is judged to be in the right. So you can do what is right and you can have, you can do what is right and you can have righteousness as a part of your being, as part of your character. It's, uh, it's your condition in a sense. You, you are a, a righteous person. Now, in verse 20, which obviously we didn't read this morning, but if you were to look back in there in verse 20, what you, you see Paul says there that no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. In other words, going through all the, the proper rituals uh, and, um, you, you know, just all of, all of the, all of the worship, um, being right with God, you can't get that righteousness by doing all of those things. You're unable to be declared righteous by keeping the law. If you were subjected to a moral judgment, every single one of us, our lives are not righteous. And we will not be judged to be righteous. God will not tell a lie about you and me. He'll not lie about us and say that we're righteous when He knows that we're not. But then you've got verse 21. But now... You know, the, the word but in the Bible uh, is such a significant word. It's, it's getting ready to, 
to turn the corners, getting ready to explain things and make, and, and make everything understandable. But now, Paul says, a righteousness from God apart from the law has been revealed. In other words, in some way, we who are unrighteous and sinful can be uh, said to have become righteous. And of course, this is said here by no one less than the judge of all men. But it won't be our law keeping that gets us that righteousness. It won't. It will be something that God does that will cause us to be declared righteous by the Lord. In other words, it's a righteousness that is not earned but is granted. God grants us righteousness and then declares us righteous. And so in this beautiful explanation of the gospel, this is the first thing we need to understand. This righteousness that we must have. And then second, I want to spend just a few moments on the word redemption. Verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, the word redemption is, yes, a, a religious term, a biblical term, but it's also a commercial term. It speaks to, in a sense, a transaction. Now, redemption, uh, in, in the biblical sense, it, what it means today is it, it's a setting, setting a person uh, in, who is in bondage, setting that person free. And particularly, it's the buying of someone out of bondage with a payment, with a ransom of some sort. So redemption is not simply deliverance, then it would just be deliverance or rescue. But it's a a deliverance that is affected by a payment, a ransom. So in that sense, it's a transaction, it's an exchange. And when I was growing up, I, I, I I don't see it as much, maybe people don't eat as much cereal or we didn't eat as much cereal but when I was growing up I mean the thing to do every morning was eat your cereal and you'd read the read the back of the cereal box it had always kind of interesting things games crossword puzzles um, cartoons and everything and then you would also have opportunities to you know cut out this certain thing on the back of the cereal box or take the cereal box top off and 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 you could if you had enough of them you could send it in to the redemption center and you would get in return some sort of toy or prize or something like that that's that's the idea here we we have um, the redemp- from the redemption center, we get justification. We get made righteous in God's eyes. What's the payment? It's not cereal box tops. It's the work of Christ. That's the redemption that we have. In, in the Greek there, the terms uh, ransom and redemption, they really have the same root. So they're speaking of the same thing. So ransom means redemption price. It's, it's, the ransom is the effecting of deliverance by the payment Our deliverance of some, it's the deliverance of someone from bondage by a payment of some sort. And the Lord Jesus, what he said in Mark chapter 10, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a a ransom for many. And when he said that, he meant, and everyone certainly would have understood, 
him to mean that, that by his offering up of his life on the cross, he would set people free. His life in exchange for yours and mine. Because in the Bible, what it talks about, what we learn about man, is that man is in bondage to sin. He's a slave to sin. We can't escape sin's power or its consequence in any other way than the work of Jesus. Jesus sets us free from that bondage. He pays the price of our freedom. He satisfies the demands of God's law on our behalf. So that's righteousness. That's redemption. And where I want to spend the remaining our moments together is with the word justification. Justification. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. And then you see in verse 26, it was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just, so that God might be just, above reproach, correct, proper, right, just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what does it mean to be justified? Well, there's an old definition that I learned growing up that it said justification is when God treats you just as if you've never sinned. And that's good. It does fall short, though, and I'm going to try to explain to you how it falls short. But it's a great start. So uh, in that sense, and, and it, what it says is true. It's just incomplete. God treats us just as if we've never sinned. Now, you can, I'm sure you have it all memorized, your Westminster Shorter Catechism. What, what is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace whereby He pardons all our sins. That's the, He treats us just as if we've never sinned. But then here's the second part. He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight. Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So justification is not only God treating me, <clears throat> treating you and me just as if we've never sinned, but He also treats us just as if you've done everything right. That's amazing. Not only does He wipe away your sins, but He gives you this righteousness, a perfect score. As if you did everything right. That you can think about it when the Lord looks upon us without Christ. What he, what's he see? He sees our sin. He sees, he sees Michael Brock, sinner extraordinaire. Exhibit A and what it means to be a sinner. There he is. And what do we get when we are justified? We get the righteousness of Christ superimposed over us, onto us. And so God then, yeah, there's, yeah, I can still see the outline. There's Michael Brock there. But I, what I see is the work of Christ. I see the blood of Jesus covering those sins. I see the perfect righteousness of Christ covering that guy. The way it's said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus was treated as if He had done everything you and I did. And when we believe, we are treated as if we, have, we did everything that Jesus had done. All of that righteousness is ours. 
And this justification is simply received. It's just received. You, you, there's nothing else to it. Verse 25, all are justified by His grace as a gift. Now, Martin Luther said that this idea of justification by grace alone is the doctrine, doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. So it's essential. It's, it's incredibly significant. And let me try to just give a few um, just maybe applicable thoughts on why this is so significant. This idea of justification by the work of Christ. Why is this so significant? I'm going to give you, I think it's four reasons why it's so significant. Number one is because every religion in the world approaches God on the basis of works except for Christianity. Every other option you have to try to find God and reach God and make yourself presentable to God and, and, and all the other paths to God are performance-based. As long as you do this, that, or the other, whatever their religion prescribes, then you'll be okay. Only Christianity has a gracious approach to God, a gift approach to God. Again, all the others say you have to earn it. Only Christianity say, says that this perfect record is given to you as a gift through the work of Christ. And now what that means in practice is that you live your life... If, you're, if, you're, if your approach to God is based on your performance, you live your life wondering if you've ever done enough. You, you live walking around on eggshells in a sense. You, you, you live keeping a tally box or, or, or a list wondering, have I, do, have I done enough? You live with anxiety because you know you're not doing your best. A number of years ago, um, ESPN came out with it was their 30 year anniversary and they came out with these little documentaries basically they called them 30 for 30 and I think there were 30 documentaries to celebrate the 30 years of of, uh, of existence as a whatever they are TV program or whatever ESPN is and anyway um, <clears throat> I used to really enjoy those there's some really good ones and one of them is is called the best uh, that never was, and it's about um, a great running back from high school uh, from Philadelphia, Mississippi. A guy named Marcus Dupree, and a few of you would remember that name. <clears throat> it, it's really amazing. It's a it's a great um, story. I mean, it's a, it's a sad story about him, really. Um, but you watch some of the film of him in high school. He's about 6'4", 220 pounds, just running over people like, 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 like a grown man playing against peewee football players. I mean, it's just it's amazing. Of course, he's recruited by all these schools, Texas and Oklahoma and everywhere. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a sad story of him being taken advantage of by some people and, and kind of stealing his money and all this. And... Um, uh, and, and at the end, they, they have him, they bring him out onto his high school football field and they're asking him some questions about, you know, what, what are some of the memories that come back to you as you're here? And he starts to, to break down and, and weep. And he says, you know, I just, I, I, wanted, I, wanted to, I wanted my mom to be proud of me. You know, and I, I, I asked her, you know, mom, did I do enough? 
And he just wept. And he, and he said, I, I just don't feel like I ever did enough. <clears throat> that is living your life performance-based. And only Christianity frees you from that because Jesus performed perfectly. Therefore, you don't have to keep striving to perform perfectly. Being justified by grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, it frees you. It lightens your load. Second, why is this so significant? Because everyone is trying to justify his existence. Everyone is. We all are. We, we're all driven to show that we're worth the time. We're all driven to show that we're worth the effort. We're all driven to try to show that, um, that God didn't make a mistake that he didn't waste his time making me. You think about a, a home inspector. You know, you're, you're buying a house and uh, you pay your home inspector, you know, $500 to, to go through the house and look at all the wiring and the plumbing and, you know, on and on and on, the air conditioning and the water heater and all that kind of stuff. And you, so you pay the, a bunch of money. He's got to come up with something. And, and, and the longer the list, the, the more you feel like you got your money's worth. You know, you, know, you, could, you could have everything that you think is, is, uh, was wrong about the house. You could have it all repaired. You know, the, all the junction boxes where the wi uh, wires come together, they could be properly covered and connected and all that jazz. But, but the home inspector's got to come up with something. You paid him $500. He can't just walk around and say, yeah, it looks fine. I didn't see anything. It looks good. You're going to think, well, that was a waste of my money. $500 down the drain. Every, that's the way it is with all of us. We all want our lives to be valuable. We all want them to be worthwhile. We are all, temp, uh, we are all trying to justify our existence. And so that's why justification by grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus is so significant. Third, without it, without this justification by grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, without it, everything you're living for will be crushed by the weight of your expectations. If you're living to justify yourself, you will justify yourself through either your job or your, uh, your children or your physical appearance or whether you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever. And so what that means then is that you will be a workaholic if, if that's the way you're seeking to justify your existence. You'll, you'll be working like crazy to achieve vocational status or to keep from losing your job. Or if it's your, your physical appearance, then you'll become an exercise-aholic and drive everybody crazy. Or if it's your children, it, it means you're going to go ballistic when your children misbehave. Because they embarrass you, and that's the thing you're the way you're trying to justify your existence. If without justification, resting in the work of Christ, then everything you're living for is going to be crushed by the weight of your expectations. And then, number four, on why this is so significant with the status of being justified, every spiritual privilege is yours. Every spiritual privilege is yours. In other words, justification is, is the bestowal of a status upon you. And that gets you all the rights, all the privileges that come with that status. Uh, uh, several months ago, um, 
Anton and I were talking about listening to books on tape and or audio books, books on tape, book audio books, books on your app, really books on your phone. And uh, he was telling me about how if you get a, as long as you have a library card, then you can get access to the couple of these apps. And I didn't have a Jefferson County or Birmingham library card, so I was like, well, I need, so I need to go get one, and so that I could get access to all these books. And so I did. And, uh, and the lady was so sweet. Not only did she want to make sure I had my, app, my card correctly and all that kind of stuff, but she then she wanted to give me a tour of the library because it was like I was a member now. I was in the club. I had, a, had my library card. I should get a tour, learn the secret handshake, you know, know what goes on at this particular desk. And if you need certain things, they're over there on those shelves. And then go on the back wall. I mean, it was, I just wanted a library card, you know. I got the things to do. I need to run on. But, you know, it's so sweet. But that's the way it is is when when we're when we have the redemption that is purchased by Christ put upon us we have all those rights we have all those privileges we we have that special status our sins are forgiven god is our father jesus is our brother heaven is our home the holy spirit lives inside of us and on and on and on it goes this, this righteousness of Christ, you could say in a sense that it's, it's like a resume that opens doors. Uh, you know, on your resume, you don't want there to be anything that disqualifies you, and you hope that everything on there qualifies you. That's the way it is with the work of Christ, when we find ourselves in Him and rest in Him. Last thing on why this is so significant, because as I was saying at the beginning, this gets to the heart of the gospel. All of this is, is the heart of, of the gospel. And the gospel in the form of a question is simply this. In what do you boast? What, in what do you boast? How you answer that question, it tells me whether or not you get it. You get the essence of the Christian faith, because most people look at their sin and they try to get rid of those sins. Most people are striving to make themselves acceptable to God. And so that what that ends up meaning is that people then they boast in themselves. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a good guy or or I've been baptized or I've, I, I'm a member of the church or I've done a lot of good things or I give money to this charity or whatever it is. And so that's. That's what we think makes us right with God. And what makes you a Christian is you reject that trusting in yourself. As a matter of fact, you, you, you even repent of trusting in yourself. Trusting in your righteousness. Not just, you don't just repent of the, of, of the bad things you've done, but you repent of trusting in your good things. Again, and what do you boast that's what gets to the heart of the gospel. There's a wonderful hymn that we sing sometimes around here called Beneath the Cross of Jesus. The last verse in that hymn, I take, O cross, thy shadow from my abiding place. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of his face, content to let the world go by, to know no gain nor loss, my sinful self, my only shame, my glory, how good I am. <laughs> no, my glory, all 
the cross. My sinful self, my only shame, my glory, all the cross. In what do you boast? The old EE question gets to this question of in what do you boast when it asks, if you were standing before God in heaven and he were to ask you, why should I let you in my heaven? What would you say? And if you answer that question in the first person, because I, because I, because I, then you're showing that you don't understand the gospel. Even if it's because I believe, because I have faith, because I got baptized, because I've continued in the faith. The only proper answer to that question is because Jesus, because He, because God. It's got to be answered in the third person, not the first person. Alistair Begg uh, puts it like this, and I've used this before, but it's just so good that, because it really gets to the issue. He says, think about the thief on the cross. And I know not all of you are here familiar with the details of the, of the, in the Gospels of the, of the story of Christ's death. There were two other men who were crucified with Jesus that day. <clears throat> Robbers, thieves. And one of them confessed his belief in Jesus as he was hanging there on the cross, as he was dying. And Alistair Begg, again, the way he says it, I can't wait to meet that guy in heaven. And, and you know, how did it shake out for you? How did this happen? I mean, you made it. Of all people, how did you get in here? Never in a Bible study. You're never a, a church member. And yet you made it. He says, that's what the angel must have said, too, when he saw him. Who are you? How'd you get in here? What are you, what are you doing here? The guy would just say, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? I, I don't know. I'm just here. He says, that angel probably would go to this, say, let me go get my supervisor, angel, and, and, and come and... And stand before this guy and he'd say, sir, we just have a few questions for you. Can you explain to us the doctrine of justification? No, nope. never heard of it in my life. What about, what about the doctrine of Scripture? What do you believe about the Bible? He just stares at him. And he says to him, on what basis do you come? And he says, the man on the middle cross said I could come. That's our only hope. That's our only boast. Third person. Not me. Him. Our only answer. Our only hope. The only way we could ever have any... That's our only, that's our only option. Jesus loves me. Jesus paid it all. My sinful self. My only shame. My glory. All the cross. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, the doctrine of justification being made right with God through the redemption that has been purchased for us by Christ. 
I pray that it would overwhelm and humble and instruct and free each of us here today in ways that we've never understood before. And because we can't bring that about on our own, we pray that you would do it in our souls and minds. Through Jesus, we pray. Amen.